Let's see how it goes. I'm, I'm a little. I'm always concerned. I don't know why. We're, we're just we're just two rock stars at this point. I don't know why I should be, but. Well, uh, let me comfort you with some really <laughs> bad numbers. Our trilogy wrap up shows are always the weakest entry in the months because they don't have a movie <laughs> title. You know, no, no one's going to stumble into our weird <laughs> trilogy in theory that makes no sense, but they might stumble into uh, Catch Me If You Can. So no concerns. Uh, the wrap-up shows, those are just for the fans. Only the fans of the show, only for the subscribers, because that's all we're getting. You know, and, and that's really, that's the payoff. The The wrap-up shows are the payoff. And, and much like Pinot, the grapes, only those who take the time to understand it can then, you know, coax it to its fullest expression i feel like you're trying to compliment our subscribers and you may have just turned them off they're like oh god these guys are comparing themselves to jazz and pino My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike, and hopefully everyone is having a wonderful holiday. Uh, we're here wrapping up another trilogy, and really wrapping up the entire year, almost. Thank God. What did you... <laughs> All right, it's, it's, it's been a long, long year, certainly. Um, I was uh, conversing with, with Dave online, and he meant... I, I, <laughs> I mentioned that... Tenet might be the worst film I've seen all year. And and <laughs> Dave semi agreed. He mentioned a film that was a little uh that he found to be worse, uh, that released back in February. And I can't even fathom a film being released in fact like it seems so long ago. The Lodge, sir, and that's uh a film that him and I, him and I we watched it sitting right beside each other because it was on one of his travels to Kentucky and um I think the only thing he approved of is that unlike on a podcast where I'll just go on and on and on, uh, I just came out and said, I didn't care for that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I kept it like a normal human being coming out of the movies. Like, nope, didn't like that. And uh, yeah, I would hope Tenet is better than that one. That is a, well, I don't know. Webb, you've, you've been kind of dreary to start the episode. So maybe, maybe you'd be a fan of the lodge. It's got a very dark sort of winter tone to it. Full of dread. Well, I, I have to watch a film that someone stated is worse than Tenet because I was like, that you have to really put in a lot of effort. Like, And Nolan put in a lot of effort in Tenet. Yeah, he tried to <laughs> kill people to get them to watch it. So. <laughs> <laughs> the bastard. Um, all right, is that enough of the uh, the coal in the stocking? Let's open the presents, I think so. man. What are we doing here? This is this is the bunny suit from uh, Christmas Story. Let's let's let our listeners, the one that like stick with us to these wrap up shows. Let's start handing out gifts. Well, I think the one thing, despite the fact that I wasn't the biggest fan of Batman Returns, I think one of the things that we 
discuss beforehand was we're looking at different identities in Christmas time. And so all three of these films work out really, really well. Because here's how I saw them. Once I stepped back from all three of these films and I thought about identity, I thought about Batman and Catwoman. They both have like very literal definitions of like, okay, well, this is one identity that I have and this is a completely different identity. And whether one is more true to who I am or not is is up for discussion. In LA Confidential, we've got Bud, Ed, and Jack, and they don't have separate identities, but their issues are more internal and emotional. They have different emotional identities from where they are, from where they want to be, and how they get there. So I thought that was fascinating. They're also being used by someone else who sees what they can glean from that particular personality type, whatever identity they're projecting out to the world, and they're being moved around this board, not knowing that they're affecting one another in, in such a way. You know, until Russell Crowe puts his big meaty hands on my precious Guy Pierce. Until that travesty <laughs> happens. And then they unite their forces. Certainly. And then mo I think most interesting of all with Frank and Carl in Catch Me If You Can, I feel like the both of them are I think you can argue they're maybe doppelgangers of one another. They're both quite lonely. They have pretty much lost their families, whether through acts of their uh you know, their own acts or through someone else's, like uh, Frank's mother. However, it seems like to me that Frank and Carl are two sides of the same coin. So I feel like when we talk about identity with the two of them, they are kind of one person. They make up this one really fascinating individual in Catch Me If You Can. Well, they're clearly they're at different points in their lives. And one thing when you're, I hadn't really necessarily looked at it through that particular lens, but it's it's far more sad for the. It's like the, the DiCaprio character, because of the separation of his parents, he's looking to have them... Uh, he wants his parents to remain static, to remain to have the, the classic uh, father figure, the mother figure in his life. And I, I think that we're, maybe a lot of us are more guilty of that than we'd like to admit. That like we want to be able to leave the home, but we want that to remain as it was from our childhood. We don't want our right. parents' mature age to follow their own pursuits. In this case, you know, this mother is increasingly unhappy with the maybe financial stress, the, the marriage, um, the sort of dreamer mentality that Christopher Walken's character as the father has. Some of that is like really romantic. Like that scene where they're dancing on the white rug and she spills wine and you see that the son, you see DiCaprio takes more after his mother. Like, Oh crap. You know, we, this is, this costs a lot. We've got value, this possession, this, you know, won't look nice. It won't keep up appearances. And the father just dances right over it, just rubs <laughs> that stain right into the rug. <laughs> and he's he's more moment to moment, which is romantic when you're younger. But you can see if you're aging with someone, if you're building a life with them, if you're building a day-to-day -day marriage, that could get kind of annoying that someone's just living so carefree and, I guess, careless in that regard. Uh, but I think that's you're bringing an interesting point with them being two sides of the same coin. It's just that one of them is a young man who to keep things status quo, he abandons it and just hopes that when he returns, you know, this very like Homer like character that everything will be just fine. 
men in, in adventure narratives are just really dumb, aren't they? <laughs> just really self-involved, <laughs> narcissistic assholes. Well, you know, that mentality speaks to, I think, uh, that age as well. And you're absolutely right. We do want, we want to leave the nest and have everything stay the same. Like, very rarely, especially in that age, like the late teens, early 20s, where you want to go find yourself, you don't see your parents as anything but your parents. Like, they did not have, they, they couldn't possibly imagine going through the things that you're going through. Like, there's just no way that they could die of embarrassment because of, you know, sneezing and farting at the same time in public. You know, it's like little things like that. I like <laughs> or or whatever went, example. You went Fairly Brothers in your example. <laughs> 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 you know, it, it's a very, I think, oddly universal thing. George Carlin, like, even though he had wonderful bits about uh, uh, abortion and and rallying again, you know, against uh, um, some of the really odd conservative individuals and, and institutions. The stuff that really resonates with me as I grow older is like the stuff that we all have in common that nobody ever talks about. Like when you're in the uh, a train and you're facing one way, the other train's facing the other way, and one of the trains starts moving, and you don't know which one it is. And so, like, I I don't know why that's funny, but it it gets increasingly funny for me. And so, yeah, when you're at that age, you just don't have the the foresight, and you, everything is you're so myopic in the way that you look at the world, and you can't imagine that these individuals had lives before you and, and you you might have ruined their lives you know, they might have had hopes and dreams as well well even i mean catch me if you can the mother figure here is a prize <clears throat> a prize that was won by frank yes. and was you know a princess that uh, he, he brought back to america this this french woman that all the other men in his his unit when he was over there in uh, wartime uh, wanted, but he was the one. He was the one that was man enough to to take her, and that was the through line that I saw in our Christmas trilogy. Which it was kind of accidental because uh, I think it's a little bit more prominent, certainly in LA Confidential, where you're dealing with a uh, prostitution ring where women are uh, literally physically being cut up to look like other more famous women to be representations of things that normal men could not attain. But they can find someone that looks like this sort of like goddess on the mountaintop. Um, and I, I'm just giving you the floor. We'll come back to that confidential. But I'm going to let you take your shots on Batman Returns. Yet again, your selection to kick off the month that you're so unhappy with. This is, you know, uh, it makes me feel like a father figure to you. Like I got you the wrong Christmas movie. <laughs> Even though. <laughs> the, the kid asked for it even though my, my little web said what about batman returns and i'm like well he he says he likes batman and then i get you the batman figures and you're like this is not the one i wanted <laughs> <laughs> no you know what I, I, i'll give you a uh a great little background story uh what you are uh, you're the one you're the parent that got me what i wanted but also what I needed. Like, you paired it up with Catch Me If You Can and LA Confidential, and it worked swimmingly. Because you knew, I think, deep down, subconsciously, like, I don't know if he really wants to do a trilogy with Batman Returns. So I want to make sure that he enjoys himself this time around. I remember we were at a bookstore, and I want, I was like, this was, ooh, uh, uh, 
maybe 10 or 11. And I really wanted this Goosebumps book. I just really wanted it. My parents were like, we don't think you'll get much mileage out of this Goosebumps book. (laughs) And so they decided not to buy me the Goosebumps book. And they bought me a Webster's Dictionary because they're like, we don't have one at home. Uh, Something that everybody will be able to use at home. And I was just like so angry. Later that evening, we spent some time with uh, my mother's best friend who had a, oh, who has a a daughter who I fancied quite a bit. Mm. And she was smitten with his dictionary. Like we spent the evening looking up words. And I was like, I'm so happy. That that I didn't get that goosebumps book. Like this is this is what I they knew that this is what I needed. And so, like my parents in that moment, you absolutely knew that these two films are what I need, well, not your, what I your want. Your parents clearly had no respect for the greatness that is. Uh, I'm sure the company name for an army of ghostwriters that is R.L. Stein <laughs> cranking those <laughs> things out, <laughs> like their factory work and typewriters uh, to assemble that that series and Fear Street and all those other uh, classics. confidential you know with uh, lynn bracken who i do want to apologize to our listeners uh for whatever web will say about this because i did point oh. out to him pre-recording that i'm like well i'm gonna focus a lot more on her because we really didn't in our only confidential episode yeah. but she uh leans more into the uh physical mass manifestation of a new identity coming to hollywood uh and playing a new persona uh and only revealing her true self to to bud pretty much surprisingly um but before we get into that, I was going to give you an opportunity just to, to finish uh, my through line with the trilogy is we did touch on Selena Kyle and her weird Tim Burton animalistic powers of having nine lives. We did touch on the scene where they Batman, as he's often does in the Burton series, which is uh, have his identity revealed or reveal his identity to the new lady in his, his life. Uh, he might as well just be James Bond in the Burton Batman verse, where you just say, I'm Bruce Wayne and I'm Batman, <laughs> and just let everyone know that's what's going on. That's how he, he rocks it there. Um, but there is that thing with all three films where the men are befuddled by any hopes, dreams, desires, uh, agency that these women they come across. So DiCaprio is aghast that his mom leaves a marriage she's unhappy with and can be happy with someone else and can start a new family um, that she's not necessarily stuck waiting around uh, just to treat him as if he's a teenager. Um, And you have these male characters that are befuddled by Kim Basinger and LA confidential that she can fuck for money as an actual line is in the film that's thrown at her uh, and still also choose who she wants to have sex with. She can both be paid for that and then find love. She can, she can express genuine interest in someone that 
you know, and that world is probably a shock that someone can just do something for their own pleasure and it's not being dictated by someone else in some sort of vast conspiracy. And even Batman, <laughs> we we talked about it in Batman Returns. Michael Keaton, the way he plays it, he is totally befuddled by the Selena Kyle Catwoman character. He just does not have a firm grasp on if he wants to throw her off her roof or take her off and marry her and start dancing on the carpet over, you know, wine stains. So uh, what what do you make of Selena Kyle as being the one who is most clearly choosing a new identity for Christmas? She is breaking out of that mold of being uh, picked on by mostly abusive male figures. Very empowering. Like, I will say, I, I don't think Tim Burton explored the concept of Selena Kyle kind of taking things into her own hands and, and terrorizing her terrorizer. He doesn't really go into it that much. Uh, but I did like that. I think she's a great anti-hero, and I hate to say it, but maybe it's because of all the comics that I have read. And, and so Catwoman's already built up in my mind as this individual. I don't know how much of it is in this film. Do you have a favorite uh, Catwoman version in comics? Boy, you know, I have a soft spot for Frank Miller. So her in year one, I found quite uh, enticing. So what's um, your problem with Lynn Bracken like... then? Isn't she, isn't she not a prostitute? In, in <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, There's nothing wrong I with was Lynn not Bracken. trying to set you up. I didn't think, although, you know, I did have a suspicion you'd go back to Frank Miller. Uh, I think my version has to be, I think it's Ed Brubaker. The Darwin Cook designed one with the goggles from like the early two thousands. Oh yeah, that's that's the Catwoman. I I really that like. that look became the look for Catwoman. Yeah, that's had a that's had a lot of run. That doesn't usually happen with a costume change. Maybe like a three year span or something. But yeah, that that's like mm -hmm. this century's version of Catwoman. The goggles and the. Uh, yeah. I, I like that she actually had like a, a family. There was a family of like sort of lost souls and other women in her life. It's it was a that was a nice nice run and uh, it won't work for a podcast. But I'll you know when we finish up, I'll have to take my phone out and show you all the artwork I've got that's sort of like inspired by that. <laughs> I dig that stuff. I think she has that uh, same outfit in like Hush and and yeah, and then moving on into even I think Tom King's run. I think I I haven't read all of it, but I've seen the artwork. And actually, the one story that I haven't read is, I think, When in Rome, where she believes mm, that yeah. Falcone might be her mm -hmm. father. I haven't read that one. It, it's it's waiting for me. Um, so I'm excited to go through that. I, I also, okay, now, now that we're just talking about comics. We're, we're making up for our, our hate, your hate of Batman Returns. We're trying to bring the nerds back. <laughs> this is Christmas dinner with the nerds. What did you think of Selena Kyle in the Frank Miller verse in Dark Knight Returns, where she is aged and she's kind of uh, like heavy set um, and and barely a it's a remnant of her old self? How did you react? I was very shocked. I, I couldn't imagine that this is where Selena Kyle would be. Yeah, I didn't care for it. for what you just said. I just it, it was hard for my imagination of the character to to make the leap. Like I. I I love the Michelle Pfeiffer one, although I do think that in my mind, Anne Hathaway is the closest to the way I saw the character in Dark Knight Rises. Uh, can be a little cold, a little distant, but also like playful, like you know, and, and uh, loyal when she's deemed you sort of worthy of of that. That's and that's going back to the Brubaker comics where she does have this like adopted family of people that she she like really has their backs. Um, didn't care for that. <laughs> you, you've backed me in corner. Frank Miller and women. 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. know. I don't know if there's a, a female character of his that I particularly uh, like because um, they're always, you know, they're always written and uh, presented through a male perspective, and not, not just his, but from another uh, a male character in one of his stories. So that's that's tough. Even even something like a Dame to Kill for, yeah, like. I, you know, I, I love the way uh, Ava Green, like she, she, she was kind of one of the bright spots in that. Also, would make a fine Catwoman. You know, at some point, she would have been great as well. Very much so. All over the place. Hold on, wait, like let's get back to. Uh... <laughs> Look, that was the action oh, figures we gave we the kids for for our Christmas. <laughs> year. Now it's <laughs> now right. it's time for you. Know, you you accused me of giving you socks and underwear by giving you the, like the films that you needed to make it through the cold <laughs> winter. So that was the playtime. So now you know. Do you want to go back to LA Confidential or just work our way back up? You mentioned Lynn, and I I found make me sound like a jerk. Well, you've already expressed uh, love for Frank Miller's characterization of women, so dive right in, <laughs> Webb. <laughs> Water she, feels fine. I think because she's surrounded by such who, um, flashy roles, like such charismatic individuals, like she herself just remains like kind of she's that object, I guess, for Bud and and I guess kind of for for Ed in some way as well. I never, whenever I think of Ed, uh, LA Confidential, I don't think of Lynn as much as I do everything like surrounding that character. She is kind of the center, I guess, maybe of it all, but I don't know. That's, that's why I mentioned earlier uh, before we started recording. It was like, eh. Like, I, nothing against her. I think her character is fine and whatnot, but I, there's just too much other stuff that I love in this film. Okay, what I love about that is I agree with you. But I feel it's her lack, her surprising lack of ego that none of our three male leads, they all have massive egos. And it blinds them to how they are just uh, pawns in this particular game at this particular time uh, for usually, you know, superiors, not only in the criminal world, but in, in the police force as well. They're just being moved around the board. And she has a more advantageous view of how things are actually going down. Cause she is in the center of it. Uh, but I also don't, I think her lack of ego uh, shows through and that she doesn't express too much surprise <laughs> about what men are capable of. I think she's well aware and Ed Exley and Bud White, Bud White has committed. I don't know how many crimes as far as with his fists, you know, it's coming and just assaulting people and these interrogation tactics. And he also in some degree is a child who can be shocked that another man could, you know, betray him or like, you know, or he could be led astray by someone that had, you know, given him a compliment saying like, you know, you're, you're a good egg. Your talents lie elsewhere. And Ed Exley, he's supposed to have the brains and he couldn't see it when it was right in front of him. So I'll take up for Lynn Bracken that I, I feel like she is kind of playing back. She's maybe a little bit bemused that all these men who think that they have the, the numbers uh, down, um, they they can't see it. They can't. They just can't see it. And she she's not offering it up. But that's as close as she gets to being a femme fatale. She just doesn't offer up information. You know what? What's interesting, like all all everything that you said, one thing it hit me like a ton of bricks. We talk about identities, and all three of these leads are dealing with these emotional identity crises. And she's the the reason that I think I find her less interesting is because she's the only one of these characters that is super confident in who she is 
and that world around her. You were absolutely right. She's because she's not going through that same turmoil that they are. It, it immediately makes her a less interesting character on the surface, I suppose. But when you dig into it, no, she knows what she wants to do. She's okay with the life that she's living here, and she's not swept in and taken in by uh, Hollywood. And it's she has boniness. no illusions about that. She, her plan is to make enough money, and she'll go back and run a small business and. Um, yeah, you know, sure. Arizona. Everything about her is honest, except for her hair color. Right, that's the only thing that Hollywood <laughs> has changed. Yeah, is, you know, she's not blonde. Um, it's not a very. It, it's a strange Oscar-winning performance because you're right. Yeah. It's not like the flashiest role. I think it was just something. I honestly think it was just the year of Titanic that people like really liked LA Confidential more. But it's like, well, we have to, Titanic has swept the nation. That's you know, that's the more important film. In regards to that's like the great the top film of all time, I do feel like Kim Basinger sort of brought home Oscar glory for like the entire. It was almost like a cast award. I'm not knocking her performance, but I'm thinking they liked all these actors bouncing off of each other so much. And you're right, she maybe is the least interesting role because she doesn't change that much, but she's also the most likable. I think she's far more likable than any of our three lead cops. Uh, you just like you like her bouncing off all this aggressive male rhetoric with her confidence and her cool. I am going to go ahead and label this trilogy a rousing success. Absolutely. I, th I think this has everything that you could want in in the kind of selections that, that, that we started this podcast for. This is absolutely, uh, I think we can talk about this for, for much, much longer. Well, because Christmas is a... Even though you know it's commercialized, it's a, a celebration of you know physical gifts. But as we we talked about with last month's trilogy, as far as that sort of collector's mentality, <clears throat> what you collect physically can be can obviously be a representation of like of your 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 internal sort of drive. As far as this is what gets me up in the day, it's like this thing. Like you know, I, you and I have not created any of these works of art. But we were trying to interact with them in some way by creating a podcast, bouncing off of what they've given to the world, and we're trying to give back. And <clears throat> so I do think with this particular trilogy, Christmas is a time to sort of celebrate your own identity, whether it's like what you're into. Someone's like, I, I know they, they like this author, they like this band, you know, just trying to give something like I, it's just an acknowledgement of like, I recognize who you are as a person. So here's a physical gift uh, to sort of represent that. But it's also, getting back to what you said about me, there's also the gifts of socks. There's also my old man saying, give me something I can use. <laughs> give me something that will help me in the next year. And so I think that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to be honest that it's movies that we want to go back. Webb says, hey, I want to watch Batman Returns. And I'm like, he's going to need to eat his green beans. I'm going to have to give him, serve him up some <laughs> L.A. Confidential. I know what he'll need to, to get him into 2021. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that it has, you know, they're all set around Christmas and it is people struggling with who they were and who they can be going into the new year. I think that that's a nice way to wrap up this, this period of trilogy on identities for, for Christmas.
just quickly talk about the holiday with you. The, f- uh, the first act wa- was a little tough. And then, like, I, cause I didn't know what the film really was and, and where it was, how it was going to handle its plot. The more that the movie kind of went on, I realized that the film is just so earnest and so legitimate. You know, it's like it's they're not they're not trying to give you any kind of a weird swerve. Uh, uh, I was like the the Jack Black character is like he's such a nice guy. Like, see, Webb, you're basically in the movie for me because you're 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 parts of Jack Black and you're parts of Jude Law like in there and i'm like at the very least he should like those i was like i don't know if he'll like cameron yes. diaz too much i was like i could see cameron diaz because she's she's certainly an acquired taste even in this movie like the way they're trying to make her this pratfalling kind of like you know she's she's manic and she's anxious and all of that uh, i can only say that my wife uh who's not like a cameron diaz fan she like digs that character like she gets that because my wife is very much, she's very orderly, how things are, and then she gets very overwhelmed and uh, all this. I don't know. Like, I, I can't say that when I first watched it, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to be watching this every Christmas until the end of my t- my days. But it's one that I, with her, I mean, it's probably her influence a lot. I'm like, you want to put it on the holiday? Like, every Christmas we, like, watch the holiday. And I don't know. I like the, like Jack Black. I like seeing someone fall for someone else just because of their passion. And it's not passion aimed solely at, like, I'm going to take this person down. I'm going to be as charming as I can to get them to like me. It's It happens accidentally. That He's just like, let me just kind of open the door to, like, what I'm about. And it's just this gradual friendship that develops. I can't say the same for Jude Law and Cameron Diaz because they go the opposite route and they just fuck as soon as they meet. They just say, <laughs> but, but, you know, there there is honesty in that, too, I, I think, you know. Or... Uh, the how protective he is about his girls and how she immediately i I love that i think that that's the moment that the film was like that i was like okay i'm on board is where she goes to see him and she thinks he's with like another chick and it's his girl that's that's the turn that finally i was like okay here we go this is where the this is what the film is it's just this very honest it, it wears its heart on its sleeve and and that's rare for a film to to do, and 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 especially Christmas because in Christmas movies are exceedingly uh, uh, about the superficial, like like the Hallmark Channel, like they they have a monopoly on on turning the season into like this prepackaged uh, thing for consumption, and the holiday seems like it was made out of genuine love for what the season actually represents. I also like so, that even though one of the characters is well off, um, which seems a bit extreme that she cuts movie trailers and she's living in this huge place. <laughs> Whatever, Nancy Myers, that's fine. I do like that it's still somewhat practical, and at least Kate Winslet is just like, well, you're coming out to the sticks. I mean, if you want to do it, I'll take your mansion. That's fine with me. Like, and it's it's a <laughs> yeah. thing that these people have to actually like conceive. Like, I need to make time for myself. It's like you and I were just talking. I'm like, I'm just like so looking forward to just having a week, just just to like unwind. And most of the time, you're talking about those Hallmark movies. 
it's like, God, it must be nice to be incredibly wealthy to be like, I need to get back in touch with Christmas for the next month. Never go to work. Just go to a small town and meet people and get into adventures and all of that. Um, and I, I, since I only have you on here, my podcast marriage, not my actual marriage, I compared you as some sort of your, your, you know, combined halves, like a half Jude Law, half Jack Black. <laughs> if I'm being honest with myself in my youth, I was probably Ed Burns. <laughs> I was, I'm, I was the shit that, you know, uh, thought he was honorable just by being blunt and just had a total misreading of the room. Uh, I love that the, the gardener or whatever is like, don't do it. Like she's asking for honesty. <laughs> Don't do it. It's a trap. 